Jesus, Jesus asks the man, do you, Jesus Christ, be praised and glorified both now and Amen. Last week, Mother Corey called our attention to a window in the chapel, which depicts Jesus standing at the threshold of an overgrown and long unopened door, in her resonant phrase. As other observers of this image have noted, there is no handle on the outside of the door. It must be opened from the inside. This window, in other words, depicts a fraught moment, pregnant with uncertainty. As Jesus stands at the window, at the door, and knocks, is someone going to come let him in? And there is a similar uncertainty in the reading we heard from John's gospel this morning. The evangelist sets the scene by telling us about a pool near the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem. As far as we can tell, the water in the pool is believed to have healing properties. So many people with various illnesses gather in the porticos around the pool. When the water is stirred up, perhaps because of some geothermal disturbance, the sick and infirm attempt to immerse themselves in the water in order to be healed of their diseases. And unusually for John's gospel, our story opens with someone who is not Jesus. John tells us there is a man who has been sitting by the pool waiting for relief for 38 years, which is supposed to sound like an absurdly long time. After all, the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for only two years longer. And this length of time invites us to wonder if this man is exhibiting profound faithfulness or extreme foolishness. Indeed, this is what seems to be on Jesus' mind when he encounters the man. The evangelist tells us that Jesus knew that the man had been sitting there for a long time. And so he asks, do you want to be made well? I've mentioned this before, but my New Testament professor used to point out that one of the limitations we have to overcome in our interpretation of Scripture is the fact that we don't have the tapes. We don't have recordings of how Jesus sounded. And this is a particular issue as we seek to understand this interaction, because it's not entirely clear if Jesus is being a little sarcastic. Do you even want to be made well? Or deeply earnest? Do you want to be made well? Like, really? made well? Regardless of how Jesus asks the question, the man seems a little oblivious in his response. 
Oh man, here's the thing. I have no one to put me in the pool when the water's stirred up, and then while I'm making my way down there, someone steps in front of me. Perhaps you didn't hear the question. <laughs> or perhaps this man has already made up his mind about how he is going to be made well. Jesus asks him if he wants to be healed, and he explains that he's trying his best to make his way down into the pool. In fact, he's been trying his best for 38 years. The sick man is focused less on the goal of health and wholeness and more on the means by which he thinks he might be cured. Now, before we judge this man too harshly, it's worth considering what it would mean for him to be made well. After all, he's been sick for almost 40 years. And while his illness surely included physical discomfort and social isolation, one could also imagine that there was a comfortable familiarity in his circumstances. This man knew exactly where he was going to go and what he was going to do when he got there every day of his life. And as miserable as his routine may have been, it was still a routine. And there are few things human beings value more than routines. So when our Lord asks if the man wants to be made well, he is posing an existential question. Do you want to do something different with your life? Do you want to experience the world in a new way? Do you want your whole world to be turned upside down? If Jesus heals this man... He's not returning to his life from 38 years prior. That old life is almost certainly dead and gone. Healing for this man means charting a new course and becoming a new person. And what a terrifying prospect that is. One can almost see this man hesitating at the door, unsure of whether he will open it to the uncertain new life Jesus offers, or to keep it shut and return to his old life of misery and predictability. But what's interesting about this story from John's Gospel is that Jesus doesn't really wait for an answer to his question, does he? After the man complains about not being able to get down into the pool, Jesus abruptly instructs him to stand up, take up his mat, and walk. It's one of the most dramatic healing stories in the Gospels, in part because it is totally unexpected. Because of a chance encounter with Jesus, he didn't seek him out at all. Because of a chance encounter of Jesus, 
this man finds himself navigating the world in an entirely new way. He finds himself rediscovering what it means to be a person. And while there can be joy in this kind of shift, there's also trauma. The trauma that comes with realizing that what we thought we understood about the world no longer makes sense. It's a trauma that's all too real, all too present for a group of people in Buffalo who no longer feel safe going to the grocery store. It's a trauma that's all too real for a group of people forced from their homes by fire just south of here. It's a trauma that's all too real for those who, because of health setbacks or the realities of age, are no longer able to do the things they once took for granted. When faced with traumatic events such as these, our response is often to try and return to normal as quickly as we possibly can. To try to keep doing what we've always done the way we've always done it. But the problem with this impulse is that it can allow us to become comfortable with some pretty horrible realities. I just saw an article reflecting on the pandemic and last week's mass shooting entitled, Is Mass Death Now Tolerated in America? Does our quest to get back to normal blind us to the pain and misery that surround us? The gospel invites us to recognize that moments of traumatic change are challenging us to do something different, to experience the world in a new way, to abandon the comfort of routine for the often frightening possibility of new life. Today is Music Sunday. And one of the most powerful aspects of music is the way it can console us in times of affliction. The day that the chapel at Virginia Theological Seminary burned to the ground, the community gathered in the refectory and sang, Great is thy faithfulness. The familiar rhythms of that hymn brought comfort in that time of great uncertainty. I found myself humming it to myself as I watched the plumes of smoke south of town this week. At the same time, and as comforting as that song was, we couldn't remain in that place. The chapel was a smoldering ruin. We had to discern what to do next. We had to imagine what worship would look like in the future, what faithfulness 
would look like in the future. We had to sing a new song. And this was a frightening proposition. Yet it was our work, it is our work, as the people of God. The great theologian Howard Thurman, a mentor to Martin Luther King, once wrote, I will sing a new song. As difficult as it is, I must learn the new song that is capable of meeting the new need. I must fashion new words born of all the new growth in my life, my mind, and my spirit. I must prepare for new melodies that have never been mine before, and all that is within me may lift my voice unto God. When faced with traumatic change, our call is not to sing the songs we've always sung, as comforting as they may be. Our call is to sing a new song, one rooted in the understanding that God is calling us to look beyond our present circumstances and imagine a future unlike anything we have ever seen before.